Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Because of the damage to the nerves around the voice box, it would have meant that she wouldn't have been able to scream or shout or say anything the body of Ashley Murphy had to be moved from the ditch and out onto the walkway so that the paramedics could um, get to her properly. He shouted up to the guardie that were above. There was Garda Scahill and there was Garda Hunter who came along with him in the car. And Garda Scahill asked him if he could feel a pulse and he said he wasn't sure that he could, but if there was, it was very faint. I'm Nicola Tallent and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. The trial of Joseph Puska, accused of murdering 23-year-old schoolteacher Ashling Murphy in Tullamore last year, continued today in front of a jury of three women and nine men. The court heard harrowing details from the post-mortem, as well as other evidence from the first Garda on the scene. Today I'm talking with Crime World's Claude Amini about the cause of death, the beginnings of the investigation, and what the court can expect to hear next. I'm Niall Donald, and this is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. So there was a lot of very, I think it's fair to say, very harrowing evidence um, today at the the trial of Joseph Puskas uh, for the murder of Ashling Murphy. First, we heard from Garda Tom Dunn, who arrived at the scene, um, and he, he really, it, it, it was it was quite graphic evidence, obviously, describing uh, how he came came across her. Yeah, so today's evidence was quite harrowing and very emotional for the family to listen to, I would say. Um, so Garda Tom Dunn was the first Garda on the scene. Now, he pretty much reiterated some of the information and evidence that was given from previous witnesses. So we won't rehash that, but yeah. I will tell you the new information that we heard today. Um, so he said that he was on duty in the Garda station that morning and that day, and he was the designated driver of a marked patrol car. Now, he had been on patrol throughout the day with his colleague, Garda Hunter. Um, so he was the one who actually received the phone call at the Garda station from Enda Malloy at about 3.35 p.m. Um, and we heard yesterday again that he was one of the cyclists that was flagged down for help uh, by both Jenna Stack and Eva Marin, the two women who came across the course of the assault. Enda Malloy told the Garda Dunn that there was a woman in the ditch and he had asked him to come out and help. At that point, Garda Dunn, who was in the public office of the Garda station, went up to the detective's office and explained what had happened. 
um, and some of the the detectives that were there, they all got into three separate patrol cars. So six went in total out to the scene. Did it, did it describe the timeline then? How quickly they they were at the scene after the? Yeah, they did. So they said from the point that Gardaton got the phone call to actually arriving at the scene and seeing the body of Ashing Murphy would have been about eight to ten minutes. So when they left the Garda station, um, they went down through the the canal. Um, All of Garda described how they had seen three women. There was a Jenim Stack, Eva Marin and Emma Doyle, who was a third woman who we heard from this morning. But again, she just reiterated evidence that was heard yesterday from yeah. Gemma and Aoife. Um, so they said that, you know, he had met the three females before he got over Digby Bridge. Um, and he described that the three of them were wearing exercising clothing and that they were all kind of very frantic. And they told him that there was somebody down at the ditch and they pointed him in the direction of the scene. Garda Jones said that when he arrived there, there was an elderly couple with a small boy and there was two men wearing high vis. These men were Enda Malloy and Janice Wilco, who we both heard from yesterday. And Garda uh, done, he did like he describes how Ashley Murphy was still alive when he when he first came across her in the undergrowth near the canal. Yeah. So we heard that when he got down into the ditch, now we got more information about kind of the the ditch, the height of the ditch and how far into the ditch she was. So it was about a six foot drop and she was about seven feet in. Um, And we heard that she was kind of very much stuck down into the briars. There was a track down to where the body was, but there was a lot of kind of brambles and thorns and the terrain was quite difficult and steep. Um, He said that while he was still up on the pathway, he could see down there was a woman in a jacket and leggings. But when he got down to the body, he could see that it was a female. Her face was covered in hair. Um, her hair was very, very matted with covered in blood, matted down to her face and covered in briars and sticks. Um, when he got up close to the body, he saw that she was wearing a navy jacket that was zipped right up to her neck. She wearing blue runners and there was a pink hat close nearby to her body. This has been described as a pink woolly bauble hat that she was seemingly wearing. Um, at this point, he unzipped her jacket and began CPR and chest compressions and he felt for a pulse. And he shouted up to the guardie that were above. There was Garda Scahill and there was Garda Hunter who came along with him in the car. Um, and Garda Scahill asked him if he could feel a pulse and he said he wasn't sure that he could, but if there was, it was very faint. Yeah. Um, but of course, Gardy, they, they do receive very basic first aid training. So himself and Garda Hunter alternated between the two of them conducting CPR before the paramedics arrived. Yeah. And, and chest compressions, I think it was described. So they that went on for 10 to 15 minutes um, at one point, he he said he did notice a a, a necklace. Was it that that her Ashley Murphy was wearing? Obviously, with her her name on it. Um, yeah, that was quite heartbreaking to yeah. hear. Um, you know that she was wearing this gold necklace with her name Ashling on it. Um, he also described how she was wearing a, a gold clad ring on one of her fingers, as well as um, he also described that she had blood on her hands when he was um you know, conducting CPR, um, he said that he had found that there was a phone in her jacket pocket and keys in her pocket as well for a Sayat car. One of the other guardy took those keys and found her car in a nearby car park. And they just, he put it into the door to see if it was her car or not. He described that as a red 05 Sayat. Um, it was her car. He just locked it and left, but he just wanted to check and see and see where it was. And the Gardaí also gave evidence, did they, about what they were told by the witnesses at the scene, the, the women we heard from yesterday, the two joggers who, who who came across the scene initially. 
Um, there was evidence given about what they were told at the time. Yeah, so they were told at the time that, um, you know, they had this woman had been attacked. Um, the cyclists had described, you know, had helped show them to where um, the body was laying. They had, you know, had frantic kind of descriptions from the three women who had told them what had happened. Kind of, uh, Jenna Stack actually knew two of the Gardaí who came in two separate vehicles. So not Garda um, Dunn, who was first on the scene, but the driver of the two subsequent vehicles that came along. And she had said to them, I'm the one who called it in. Yeah. Um, the woman's down there. They described how you know, they they believed that somebody had been attacked. I mean, at this point, the Guardian knew something quite serious had happened. They didn't know there was a fatality. They didn't know how serious it had been. Um, and they were trying to just get to grips with what, what was happening at the scene. I mean, another part of the story that we heard today from another Garda, so Garda Shane Hunter, who was the second Garda on the scene um, with uh, Garda Dunn, he had said that, you know, while himself and um, Garda Dunn were alternating doing CPR, um, he also was having conversations on the pathway. So um, he was doing other stuff as well. So he told the two cyclists, Janus and Enda, to stay where they were. He wanted to speak to them. At this point, he also called for backup. And um, he noted as well that the woman was lying on her back with an elevated leg up against a tree stump or a branch. Um, And he said that he noticed thin lacerations under her neck. And while he was doing CPR, sorry, while his colleague was doing CPR, the phone was passed out to him. And on that phone, he he noticed that screen time said 16, 15 p.m. He had noted that there was kind of an activity open on the phone, um, whether it's through a Fitbit app or Garmin app or or the running app, um, say that she had been running for, and the clock had gone to one hour, 24 minutes and 20 seconds. But in this time, she had only um, done a a distance of 3.2 kilometers. so between that, he also said that there was other, he's seen the bobble hat on the ground. There was some conversation about that. And he also noted that the Garda Technical Bureau arrived on scene at um, 10 past seven. And we did hear some brief evidence from the Garda Technical team at the end of today's yeah. um, sitting, but it was very much only times and dates. The, the fact that the scene was being preserved, what he had seen, um, you know, the the fact that he attended the postmortem and took handprints and fingerprints yeah. and the fact that he tried to match these to um, a gate that was on the lock, but that were negative. Um, and then he just stated that he handed these yeah, so, so over to the exhibits officer. So it is very procedural. Yeah, they're always procedural and they're always kind of read into the record just to make sure A leads to B leads to C from the from the prosecution's case. In the afternoon, um, we heard um, about the postmortem details Um so they were given obviously in 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 great detail because they have to be in a court case describing the injuries she sustained. Obviously, um, even even these moments are really difficult for 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 the loved ones of of people in in these cases for obvious reasons. But they still obviously have to be done. And um, what what sort like obviously we heard in the opening uh, statements two days ago that the uh, that Ashton Murphy died as a result of stab wounds. There was further evidence given about that today. Yes, there was. So um, at the beginning of of the exam, cross examination. Sorry, with uh, so what happened was the prosecution basically led the the witness, Dr. Sally Ann Collis, the state pathologist, through her evidence. Yeah. Um, and at the, from the start of the postmortem right to the very end, to the conclusion, she said that the conclusion was that she had died um, at the cause of her cause of death was stab wounds to the neck. Um, that was admitted into evidence yesterday yeah. by the um, 
prosecution and defense agreed that that was a fact and that there was no need for the evidence to be given. Yeah. However, due to other information, which we will hear yeah. um, in the post-mortem report, that's why it still went ahead. Um, so she, yes, she said that there was, it was a stab wound to the neck, but no other contributing factors. That means she didn't have heart a heart problem or a lung problem or any other disease. She was also swabbed, we heard, for COVID-19. So none of that was, which was negative, but none of that kind of was bearing yeah, on these why she died. These things kind of rise in a, in, a, in, a, in a criminal trial. If somebody, for example, is hit and they subsequently die of a heart attack and they can say, well, the punch maybe didn't kill them. But in this case, they're clearly laying out, accepted by both the prosecution and the defence, that the stab wounds ultimately led to, I think it was a, some sort of cardiac failure um, was it described as such? So the cause of death, because of the injuries, the stab wounds, which were the cause of death, but what it did cause was something called cardiorespiratory arrest. And the, the pathologist described this as because of the huge amount of blood loss. Um, there was a lot of damage to the, to the different parts of her neck, which I will go through. Um, but it basically resulted in not having enough blood to go through, pump through her body and to the to the heart, um, which stop you know which yeah, caused her death. Yeah, it leads to catastrophic organ failure, effectively. So, what what else was detailed in this post mortem then? So, a lot of the time, you will hear um, that the state pathologist in cases you might hear that they have gone to the scene and, and been on scene. In this case, uh, the state pathologist wasn't needed on scene. Um, she wasn't requested to do so. Um, she instead received photographs of the scene um, and she had seen now these photographs were not made available to the jury. Um, they were just available to the to the investigators, to the investigators yeah. and obviously to the pathologist so that she could see the body in situ. Um, so she noticed, she noted that there were sharp fort injuries to the neck on her initial, you know, glance of the body, there were sharp force injuries visible in the neck area. There was some froth in her mouth and there was the necklace, uh, the ring and the blood staining on her hand. She gave a general description of the body, um, you know, the ID tag, everything like that. She gave a description of her hair, the fact that it was so matted in blood, um, tangled in twigs and brambles. Um, she said there was no facial congestion and there was a single petechial hemorrhage in the up right upper eyelid. So, you know, in your eyelid, if you turn the top of your eyelid inside yeah. out, there was a small um, particular hemorrhage there. So it was kind of like a small um, red dot, basically. Yeah. Um, and there was no other injuries to her nose or her lips or her ears or anything like that. Uh, she did notice that there was some um, dirt in the lower back. And she noted as well that her genitania was uninjured. Yeah. Um, she noted that there, her fingernails had some blood and dirt underneath. There was dirt on the back of one of her legs. There was some damage to the scarf she had around her neck. Um, and her top had been cut off from the front, obviously, to allow for CPR and for the attempt to, revo to revive her. Um, she noticed again, she noted again that the necklace and the ring um, and other items that she had in her, in her possession. There was some lividity on the back, which means this is kind of what happens when the body is resting in a place. The blood kind of seeps down and kind of rests yeah. in, in, in that place. Um, so that's what that is. Um, and she noted as well the body hadn't begun to decompose. There were signs of that medical inter intervention again, some bruising and stuff like that from the chest compression, minor scars from other things that happened to her throughout her life. Um, now, she did go in to describe the um, injuries to the neck, so the stab wounds in particular, and these kind of were from the back of the from the back of the neck around the side and to kind of the front near the voice box. Um, she said there was four on the side of the neck. There was one gaping wound on the front, um, and another wound on the front. There was two near the back 
uh, of the side of the neck, one above her collarbone, one gaping near the back of her neck and another gaping wound. So they were all stab wounds. And then she described another incised wound at the back right of the neck. Um, and there was some other abrasions and stuff like that as well. Um, there was other quite harrowing evidence that was given yeah, um, today I mean, that was is, quite hard to hear. Yeah, it is really hard, I think, for the for the family, no doubt, to hear. And I suppose this is this is the way that the criminal justice system works in 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 this country and in many other countries that these things have to be read into the record and you know form part of it. But uh, you know, there's no doubt that that these things are so difficult to hear. But I mean, it, it you know the there was a degree of cross examination, was there, of the the state pathologist? Yeah, there was a degree of cross examination. I'll tell you first what. Um, yeah else we heard from it because yeah. I think that will definitely yeah. come into play in the cross-examination. Yeah. So she kind of had to go through the different organs and say, you know, this yeah. wasn't damaged, that wasn't yeah. damaged. There was um, no injury to her mouth and tongue. Um, there was a bit of hemorrhaging on her scalp. There was damage as well to her jugular vein, cartroid artery um, and damage to her voice box. So she said that something had gone through her voice box from one side and out the other. Okay. Unfortunately, there was really sad evidence that was given today um, that because of that injury to her voice box, because of the damage to the nerves around the voice box, it would have meant that she wouldn't have been able to scream or shout or say anything, you know, make any kind of noises from her mouth. Um, Yesterday we had heard that the women had thought that the suspect possibly had his hand over um, Ashing's mouth and that's why they couldn't hear her making any noise. But today we heard this, that she wouldn't have been able to actually speak because of that damage. Okay. And that's that's obviously the 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 uh the pathologist's evidence today. Um obviously uh Joseph Puskas is charged with murder. He's denied murder. He's uh pled not guilty to murder. Um and so his defense will have cross examined her then today and and what what did they uh focus on in their questioning? So they focused mainly on their questioning about the positioning of the stab wounds. So with these stab wounds on the neck, um, there was also mention of um, there would have been uh, defensive wounds on Ashing Murphy's hands, whereby there were kind of small um, flaps of skin. So yeah. it's kind of like, you know, if you nick yourself with a knife, there's just yeah. a little bit of skin hanging over. So it's kind of like that she described as if she was trying to defend, put her hand up and defend the knife from her neck. Um, she, the, during the cross-examination, um, the defense asked the state pathologist, in her opinion, if she thought because the stab wounds were on the um, right side of the neck, if the stab wounds would have had to come from somebody using their left hand. And she said, yes, if somebody was standing right in front of Ashley Murphy and using their left hand, that was a possibility that it could have come from somebody with their left hand, to which the defence said, no more questions. At this point, the prosecution uh, just wanted to reiterate again, you know. They they recross-examined. They recross-examined, yeah. yeah. Um, They said that they wanted to know if they knew, you know, she couldn't say for certain that the, the stab wounds had been inflicted while somebody was standing in front of yeah. Ashing Murphy or not. Um, I mean, you know, they don't know if she was on the ground, on her side, where, if the person was from coming from behind, if the person was in front, you know, they're, yeah. they're not sure where exactly where the suspect was standing. So that kind of... Yeah, and she, she, she accepted that, to, to, that she didn't know where the person had been standing, obviously. Absolutely, yes. Uh, other things that were mentioned sort of in it as well was she was asked if there was any um, damage to the neck because of the damage to the voice box and the other um, nerves around there. She couldn't actually tell if 
she had been strangled or if there was any other force applied to the neck. Yeah. Um, now, while she couldn't exclude compression on the neck, she said that there was no obvious signs of strangulation um, and that the hyoid bone as well was, was, was all part of that. And she also noted that there was other um, abrasions and bruising through her, through her clothing, um, particularly on the legs from the briars and the thorns that were in that ditch. So then the final witness was just uh, Garda McDonald, Gary McDonald from the Technical Bureau, which you've already described. And he he probably just, he just described the, the scene as he came along really, was it? Yeah, so he just des- described that he was called out to a suspicious death and arrived there at about 3, or sorry, at about 6.30pm. Um, he said that at the time the scene was being preserved by local Gardaí. We did hear evidence during the day from those Gardaí, like Garda um, Dunn and Garda Hunt, uh, sorry, Garda Hunter, who were there during the day. And they were kind of, they, as soon as they realized something, there was a fatality um, and the possible crime scene, they had to obviously step in straight away as part of their procedure and make sure that they were taking note of who was coming and going and making sure that obviously it wasn't contaminated by members of the public. Um, so he would just noted all that as well in his evidence. Um, he said that there was a tent there. So what we heard was, the body of Ashing Murphy had to be moved from the ditch and out onto the walkway so that the paramedics could um, get to her properly and try and yeah. um, resuscitate her. So she was put then, there was kind of a crime scene tent put over her body to preserve the scene, but also to pre- preserve her dignity and keep her away from the public. Um, there was, he said that the, he's seen the bike there. There was plastic sheeting over the bike. Um, there was plastic bags on Ashing Murphy's hands as well, again, to preserve evidence. Uh, she's, he's seen that there was blood on the back of her head and wounds on her neck. Um, and again, describes how her hair, the condition of her hair. He said that he um, removed the bike from the scene um, and the body of Ashley Murphy was removed as well by um, the Garda Technical Bureau with the Garda Escort. And again, he just said he was back the next day and took some fingerprints and handprints at the, at the post-mortem. He took some... Um, fingerprints and handprints from a lock near the gate which there was no evidence there was no it was negative it was inconclusive and they weren't necessarily trying to match it to Ashing Murphy they were just trying to get handprints of, yeah, of who may have been in the area collecting the scene so the trial resumes tomorrow morning again and um, there's no indication was there any what witnesses are likely to appear tomorrow or did they yes it appears that there is going to be some more for the Gardaí um, and there seems to be tomorrow will be based around CCTV evidence so that CCTV evidence there was what was it 25,000 hours of CCTV right. collected from around the town um, so you know those who come through it and find the relevant um, pieces of evidence whether it's witnesses or movements of suspect etc yeah. um, will be going through that so and it did. So it's still looking like uh, there was a there was a lot of interest there. There was a big crowd of members of the public as well attending. Was there? Yeah, there was a lot of interest. I mean, yesterday there was an overflow court open yeah. so that members of the public could go there. And basically, what happens there is there's a camera from the main courtroom that's fed out on televisions into the other room so that members of the public can see what's going on. Um, some members of the media ended up in there yesterday as well. I believe that that. Um, room may have been open again today I'm not quite sure I was in the main it, court you said it actually wasn't because of you had just lack of space so. yeah yeah I did hear something like there was there yeah. wasn't enough courtrooms I'm not sure going ahead, going forward whether or not there will be an overflow court yeah. I mean today names of the press was, were taken um, there's now going to be two benches for the press instead of one two benches for the family a bench for the witness or sorry for the defendant's family and then there'll be a small bit of room left over for members of the public yeah it's kind of a hard thing I, I always think for the for the families of, of people who've lost loved ones to be 
for it to be so public, but it is the nature of our justice system. So we'll obviously keep coming back, Clodagh, and keep updating us as the case goes through. Absolutely. Thanks, Niall. Thanks very much, Clodagh. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com, produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Clodamini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.